I'm Sadek. And I'm Christian. And this is episode 131, I believe. It, it is 31. The show notes uh, document is, says 130, but it is 131. Oh, wow. I, uh, wow. Uh, uh, <laughs> me, maybe, maybe I was see, I was trying to test you, actually, to make sure you remember <laughs> what sure, episode yeah, of, of the course show Let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> let's go with that. Uh, and this week, uh, this week, we have some uh, follow-up, right? We have the follow-up from the... Uh, Doom Eternal story, right? The Doom Eternal uh, plus De Nuvo uh, anti-cheat story is the follow-up is that after everybody got really mad uh, uh, that the executive producer said that they will remove the De Nuvo anti-cheat from its uh, diff- from, from the next patch in the next patch uh, says that despite our best intentions uh, feedback from players has made it clear that we must Reevaluate our approach to anti-cheat integration. Uh, so, so like this is good, right? Like this is, I mean, this is the this is the finally the reaction that ga- gamers wanted, right? This is this is the this is the thing. Uh, well, see, my thing is like, why are they removing it entirely and not just making it optional and a requirement for you to play the ranked multiplayer mode? I maybe it's maybe it's not easily possible to do that i i don't know how it integrates into the code mm, uh, right like i i really don't like i don't want to like be the, that guy who's like oh it's probably very easy to make do that because i i really don't know like i have zero knowledge or experience with like game development at this level like or at any level really is that i don't know like how the new anti-cheat hooks into the code uh, it's just, it's just like, a function bro it's just a function you know you just npm i denuvo dash cheat and then you just say at import denuvo cheat and you're good your game oh protected my god. oh my god <laughs> yeah I, I don't know how it's integrated so i don't know how difficult it, it, it would be to like make it only run during the multiplayer process or like not like not have it be like be have it be optional like it might be difficult well, it's probably a game like, engine thing right because if it, it, I would assume that the engine would have to be built in the way where the we're like you know like Master Chief Collection, right? The reason you can optionally install easy anti cheat for it is because every time you do matchmaking, it loads a new engine for the multiplayer, right? Whenever you start that match, so I would assume it would just load an easy anti cheat when it's loading in that engine to begin with. Whereas with Doom, I assume I, my guess is that this engine is more holistic and not really built in a way. Yeah, so it's all all in one thing, right? Like so, it's all like one engine basically, and all one code base, and like not. not modularized probably uh so like yeah who knows why it would, it would be difficult so removing it entirely is you know it's 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 like it's that's the way they have to go i guess uh it's gonna suck in two weeks though when we have another arsenica post about how bad cheating is in doom eternal oh my god i, I is anybody actually like like i i mean is anybody even playing the multiplayer for doom eternal i, I, I mean I mean, if you're like if you're like one of those people who cheats in games all day because I don't know you, you're an anime fan on prom night or something like I don't know. <laughs> like if you're one of those people, then yeah, maybe you're gonna take this game and be like, ha ha ha! I paid five hundred dollars for my potato Chromebook to cheat in Doom Eternal with this new cheating app. I'm gonna go ruin someone's day in the game that no one really cares about the multiplayer of. Imagine do imagine being the person who cheats in Doom Eternal multiplayer. Like, come on, bro, like. What, like, what I mean, firstly, doing? if you if you cheat in a multiplayer game, you that's you're a just, scrub. Yeah, that's just whack. Yeah, yeah, just 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 please don't. Remember, remember, Papa Jeff's gonna bring down that hammer. Wait, did I cut that? Did I cut that joke out of the episode? I might have just made a joke that only me and you know about. <laughs> Maybe cut it out. If I cut out any references to 
Jeff and his big hammer. Um, where oh just God, pretend like Jeff I never. <laughs> okay, let's fuck it. Just go on to build. <laughs> yeah, let's 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 uh, move on to our. Uh, I guess our main topic this week is the uh, Microsoft Build uh, news that came out. Um, so Build, obviously, this year was not an actual physical conference, but instead was all online, right? Which uh, was amazing. I know you didn't watch it, but so, it, you know, firstly, once again, like we used to say at Microsoft, fuck capitalism. But, but Microsoft's presentation was spectacular because basically they did like a developer sitcom done in a Microsoft Teams conference, which I know you're hearing this and you're thinking, Chosa, what the actual fuck? Why would I even want to listen to that? And sure. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I understand that. But like it was extremely nerdy and extremely great. Like at one point, um, someone was talking to panos and panos is like oh great we could talk about some design and then the the, pre- the presenter brought up a notepad and um split the window so it was half panos half the notepad and he's just typing in saying this is gonna take a while guys and then oh slowly the entire video feed fades out and all you hear is the windows xp shutdown sound <laughs> <laughs> which is beautiful like it's that kind of humor it was for for a we threw this together in two months and we needed to make a developer conference. This is far better than the we're gonna code on stage conferences that normally yeah happen. we're gonna code on stage. So so the first bit of news I think is um, so uh, title of the the bridge headline is like uh, Linux Microsoft is bringing Linux GUI apps to Windows Ten. Uh, what what is actually happening here is. DirectX is gonna no actually no no they are bringing GUI apps Microsoft ported Xorg to Windows you can run X you can run um, any X Xorg application so once again sorry Wayland folks I know I know there's a lot of people who rep Wayland I think in our audience I, I'm not cool with the Linux kids maybe you also like Xorg I don't know I imagine I, someone will DM me okay hold up hold up <laughs> if you like actually like Xorg please add me and I want to talk to you because what kind of person are you I want to. Uh, I, I've been of- <laughs> I've been called an Xorg elitist in my Mastodon mentions before. You are going to get added at. Someone will at you saying that Xorg is fine. Just you under I need you to understand this. I've been called an Xorg elitist before. <laughs> I don't know. I've been I don't know. I, f- firstly, you know, if you like Xorg, fuck you. Compass is the best um, compositor. Fl- flaming I mean, wheel. Compass is runs on Xorg, so it's not like um I I don't. Anyways, Microsoft is porting Xorg, the most popular Windows Server environment manager thingy for, for Linux <laughs> manager, to yeah. Windows. Uh, and also, they have a one-way direct export, which is what you were about to talk about. Right. So the direct export is what? So the GPU hardware exploration coming to the, the WSL2, right? Uh, Windows subsystem for Linux. And importantly, it's also the um, NVIDIA stuff for machine learning, right? Is it CUDA or they have a different kind of process? Because I know a lot of Linux servers, right, are used to run like machine learning tasks and that. And that that GPU support is also being brought along with DirectX for, um, Ooh, uh, for Linux. GPU virtualization. Um DXG kernel, which I guess is the uh, kernel driver for uh, for DirectX, yeah. That expose like it exposes DirectX. Is that what that is? It exposes uh, DirectX to the Linux kernel. Uh, DX core at DirectX D three D twelve, which is uh, DirectX twelve, right on on to. So they're building. So they're basically building DirectX for Win, uh, for Linux, right? For the Linux kernel, uh, basically. Direct, like, with the big asterisk, though. With the big asterisk, this will only work in Windows for Linux. 
this will not run on Linux proper. And I don't even know, is this core even open source? Because I don't even think you could port this to Linux. Me? I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, it, uh, Actually, I'm checking here. I don't think this is open source, which is for a reason, right? Because if it was open source, then hey, someone could easily just go ahead and try and um, and get this running on Linux proper. But yeah, this is uh, also NVIDIA CUDA, right? CUDA is going to be ported to to work in um, Linux apps on Windows for Linux. Uh, so like applications running inside the Linux environment will have like access to this GPU as native applications that Windows do, right? Mm-hmm. Which is which is pretty big. Like that's like that's not a small small thing. I think I feel like that's uh, you could run those like yeah you said computer applications, but also like like what else could you run that's like GPU heavy in, in the terminal on WSL two? Like I I don't know, but. I think it's like it's mostly specialized applications. I think, right? Like, I think for um, doesn't doesn't like Pixar use a bunch of Linux boxes or like Fedora boxes for rendering out stuff, like for like render farms. Like, I think some of those, like if you need to run it locally for whatever reason to test something, right on your on your actual Windows machine, you're doing the 3D modeling work in, then you could just bring in that application. And I'll have it run while you're, you know your render farm boxes somewhere actually do the heavy lo- working or heavy load there. Yeah. Uh, the blog the blog post title is DirectX Heart Linux, which I'm sure pissed off a lot of Linux nerds because it's not true. It's a one way street. Like this is what I, this is what annoys me the most. It's it this is it, objectively I feel like okay fine get more Linux processes running here. Like I get it, Microsoft, you got to compete with Google. Everyone wants to be Chrome OS's Linux support. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that was a joke. God. Please don't at me. But um, but it's a one way street, and I think what most of this is doing is just tightening the like. With Windows, with WSL two, and as we'll talk about later, the new Windows terminal. Why do you need a Linux box? Like you don't need it. And I post on Mastodon, and I, I before y'all at me, I understand you might like using GNOME or KDE or GNOME as y'all incorrectly say sometimes, or GNOME. <laughs> exactly. That's the wrong yep, way yep, to pronounce yep. it. It's Xface, but um, but you might like that, but you don't need to use it now, right? Like, you can just use the Windows version of Krita, GIMP, um, Blender, and then if you need some, like, Linux process, you can bring that in with WSL2 now, and what what do you need, what do you need, like, Linux for? Right, so, right, so this is what is this is doing, is essentially, like, trying to incentivize developers to stay on Windows, Right. Like they don't want developers like they see developers leaving for Mac OS, they see developers leaving for some developers leaving for Linux on the desktop. I I, I don't know if that's like a huge well web big developers thing. right because before WSL Windows was horrible for web development. He's trying to get like say like a Node environment set up and all that on Windows is fucky and it's way easier to just use the Ubuntu core for WSL. Yeah, well, you just it's easier to use a VM like a virtual machine on your machine uh, like on your desktop machine or like use a machine in the cloud to do your web development because like literally like it was just to set up, get a basic like web dev environment going. It was a pain in the ass. Right. Uh, so like, like, like Linux was just better for that. Like it was just, just way better. Uh, so, and if, if there is no reason, like if that problem goes away, if that problem is like solved with WSL2 and like DirectX on WSL2 and like, that pain point is gone for web developers. Like they have no reason to, you know, switch to another OS or use Linux on in the cloud or something like that, right? Um, or even then too for like Windows Azure, right? Because isn't um I've not used Azure before, but doesn't Microsoft have like a version of like a Linux kernel you can run in a Windows VM on Azure? 
I don't know. Like, I actually, I don't use Azure either, so I have like no experience uh, with Azure stuff. Uh, but like, it's it's really the incentivizing like develop. Like, it's just the carrot, right? It's the carrot is that you want to stay on Windows. You don't want to switch OSs because we want to. Like, as as long as you're on Windows, like Microsoft can push more Microsoft stuff on you, uh, which is which is the real which is the real. Uh, real sort of like the this is like just like the lost leader thing in front of you, uh, and so they want you to or the- for like um for for like managed environments right for like IT think about it like this Microsoft 365 you're gonna roll out a deployment of developer machines you now don't have to ever touch a Linux devel- deployment right and use some third party no. tool to roll it out mm-hmm. you can just use the Windows managed setup and then also roll out like a pre built Linux on Windows environment with your Windows yep. images yeah yeah exactly you could build a WSL two environment and be like that's your development environment um and like it's the performance has improved from wsl1 significantly like especially file small files are like much easier like so node is actually performs much better on wsl2 than it does on wsl1 because they have improved like how like uh like the system it like integrates with files right uh so files are much like files the file access file system access is much faster like they have optimized that uh so like there is like there's becoming uh, like zero like if you're just a web developer who needs to run Linux for like like uh, running like Webpacker or like I don't know like whatever whatever web dev help that you need to run um you can do it in WSL two and you'll be fine right like that's like the that's the pitch from Microsoft. Uh, and I, the, 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 this, the discourse I've seen online from people uh, who people who don't like this is like, yeah, this is just Microsoft, like you know, doing the whole embrace, ex- like extend, embrace, in- extinguish thing, you know, like the the triple E threat. Uh, which, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe they are. Like, it's like I, as as, as I always say, the, these are billion dollar corporations. You you don't. The, the only thing you can trust them to do is to look out after their own bottom line. And right now it, it favors their bottom line to like do this. Uh, so just, you know, take what you can get from it and just be aware that, yeah, that's the, like, it's not going to be like this forever. Like eventually Microsoft either might do something malicious or take a turn that, that is, uh, actively user hostile, right? Uh, like that's, that's always up there. So it's, it's, well, I think it's like the whole the whole change at Windows 10 now and like from the past couple of years and through now is if you if you're a consumer, right, and you just like want to use a computer to talk to people and like not do any productive work, you don't need Windows. And I think Microsoft has now recognized that people don't need Windows to do basic computing tasks. So what they're going to focus on is professional work, right? Instead of making Windows better for people who are just using Chrome and maybe playing Minecraft, they're going to use they're going to make Windows like a great place to play games, stream games, also do like CAD work, also do professional work at the expense of regular users. And this is like a, a side effect of that strategy, which I also think is the wrong strategy to have. It's it's focusing on the market that has the money, right? Like it's the money, the money, money is in the business, like in, in the developer market. Uh, the money is in the in the enterprise market. The money is in the in the hardcore PC gamer market, right? Like that's where Microsoft sees the money, right? So if that, those are the users that you want to keep on Windows. Like they don't really care about the other ones, right? Like they, that for the other ones, there is the Office 365 stuff, right? Like that's the pitch for those people. 
Like they're gonna sell Office three sixty five to those people, right? Well, I mean, even then, for like those people, like if you you, I would consider uh, Excel at this point an application on par with like Premiere Pro or Photoshop in terms of how complex you can get. Yeah, with I it. mean, Excel is like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not even talking about Excel. I'm talking about like Word, right? Like Word or PowerPoint. Oh, you mean like, like consumer Office three sixty five? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Consumer Office three sixty five. Like, yeah. So I'm like, that's the pitch. Like for for the people for the consumer end, you have the like the consumer uh, subscriptions, like. Uh, Game Pass, right? You have Xbox Live, uh, Gold. You have uh, Office 365, uh, the home stuff, right? So you have th- those are the like consumer end. And for the for the developers, you have this shit. You have uh, Azure. You have uh, Windows Terminal. You have DirectX on WSL2. All this shit is for developers. Uh, that's the market they're focusing on right now. Uh, not surprising. Uh, so we should talk about the new office stuff. I think while we have the while we have this uh, fluid office, uh, can you just like explain what like concept of fluid office is like in, in like in like a few sentences? I guess. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so have you all ever heard of JSON? <laughs> I love that introduction. So so, so so JSON is a file format or a. a you know, a tech spec of how to f- how to send data over the internet that most, I think at this point, every programming language natively has like, um, has some sort of, yeah, library to interpret JSON. Now think, okay, not say instead of JSON, I want to send a spreadsheet over the internet. Now you might think to yourself, well, we could build like a JSON spreadsheet specific extension, right? That has like a, an open format with it. Or, or we could just put in the header. This is a fucking spreadsheet and send regular JSON. Oh, and you might be thinking to yourself, yeah, sure. You know, that's building on an open standard. We could also do this on open and, you know, it'd be pretty simple to just put in the header, right? Um, spreadsheet or like some, some string there to so everyone knows that this is what this is meant to be. No, Microsoft said, fuck you. And what they did is that they built their own proprietary iframe system for embedding office documents in different applications. Yep. That's what this is. This is basically an iframe, right? Uh, I mean, it's probably not. I mean, it is iframe running like a JavaScript thing inside. No, no, it's it's 2020. It's 2020, friend. You know what it is? It's an iframe you install of npm. <laughs> oh my god! Can, you, <laughs> Can we take god. a side note to just talk about you rebuilding your website and how everything was an npm library? We'll get back to this. We'll just take a okay. So, so the so the story was uh, this. I'll, I'll keep it brief. Is that I was re- like I was looking for a CSS framework uh like a like something that includes like responsive design and you know all the basic basic stuff that you, that you need to build a website right i was like okay uh what what, what do i uh like i asked around I, somebody everybody gave me a few options and i started you know looking them up and every one of these fucking things like most of them are like build our uh, to get our uh get our framework going build it with fucking web webpacker and npm and i'm like fuck you like i i literally just want to make a single page HTML website with some CSS. Like I, I do not want to set up a, a a JavaScript development environment. Like that's not what. Yeah, that's that. That's just it's, it's not it's not it's it's uh that's just uh let's not let's not go there because I feel like we're gonna be here forever. Uh, so let's talk about but, so back to this though. Yeah, back to this 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 document system, which is the the thing is right. Like as a at jokes aside, at a high level, what this is is say for example. Me and uh, Sadik, you know, we want to share a the show notes for Shades of Brown to work on together. And 
instead of us opening a web browser, say I email him this fluid office document. And then in Thunderbird, assuming Thunderbird ever gets support for this, and it's actually assuming Thunderbird actually gets updated, I guess it's 2020. I still don't know if that's an active project or not. Um, and assuming ever Apple adds this, play, but it basically I email him this this document and in the email app it would then open up the document and we'd be able to edit it in there because it's just an iframe and then and then saves the changes would be saved automatically and it would likely go back to our microsoft accounts i'm assuming yeah i would imagine it's like saved on your it's at your uh microsoft account and like it's it's synced using like off the office 365 syncing stuff right in the back end uh and you can nest you can nest them in there in each other though right you can nest uh you can take a fluid office document and nest another one that's a spreadsheet within each other um this actually this is so we were talking about earlier this is like notion but in a quote-unquote open api and for people don't know take um take an app like jedit get it I don't know how you pronounce these words. Um, take LibreOffice's, you know, uh, slides app, and then imagine that you put them all together into one slow electron app with a lot of white space, and that's a notion. I see. This is the thing they are trying to build this, and this is not an. Uh, and as as people have mentioned, this is not a new concept, no, a new idea. Rather, uh, this has been attempted previously, as people have talked about OLE. Uh, Microsoft's OLE project back in the day, and like Apple apparently had something called Open Doc. Uh, which well, so Open Doc was more of like a file format, like a specification, right? And we also, mind you, because I, I know our Linux friends will at me, I'm aware we do have open PDF documents and like open specs for like non patent encumbered document types, so we can use this your documents right now, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 like LibreOffice, uh, the, the format LibreOffice operates is open format, right? Um, so, like this, uh, you know what this is? This like I, I don't even like. I uh, at first I was like, this is kind of neat, but then I when I actually thought about it, it's, this is just trying to get people more locked into Office, right? Like this is just more lock in. Like this is more shackles for the for for the lock. Uh, like this is this is just like they want you using Teams, they want you using Outlook, they want you in the they never want you to leave the Microsoft ecosystem ever. Right. Like they see people using Google Docs instead. They're like, hold up. We really don't want people to use Google Docs. We want people to use our, our shit. Uh, so why not put, 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 integrate, uh, do the vertical, like vertical integration, like put the, put our funky office 365 garbage into our Outlook garbage, right? Like integrate all that shit into one gigantic pile of JavaScript. It's uh, just gross. And but. I think we need to, I think we really need to reiterate the fact that this is a fucking iframe. Because if you look at all the blog posts, right, the verge, they talk, they wax about this philosophically. It's like, no, this is a fucking document. This is text in an iframe with a WebSocket backend that uses like a central user authentication system. This is not anything new. The new part is that Microsoft is now letting people embed it into their apps as a fucking iframe. It's not a new idea. It's just a new take on an old idea. Um, and see, I would love this if this was like any way, like uh, like not locked in. But this is as as it stands is just office lock in. Like it's and how do you even build? Like I guess you would have to because if we think about how to distribute this right in a way that would be locked in, a I don't think it'd be any it'd be worth the effort because you basically would have to have like some form of floating identity system, right? And then you'd have to have like a different nodes of servers acting as relays for the for the um 
collaboration stuff right to run the websocket servers or whatever and then you could share it that way and you could do this in an open spec and i imagine someone in the github issues are trying to integrate activity pub because that's what all the cool kids like but i don't this this isn't useful <laughs> this doesn't make sense this I, is- I i really don't like this I, I this is one of those things where it seems like a cool idea but like when you really think about it is like does this really help anybody like, I, this is, I, I feel like this is a project led by a marketing team and not led by a dev team because I understand how this is built and I understand how this works at a technical level, but I don't know why you're doing it. It's like, it's like when, um, it's like every time Google makes a new Wear OS release, right? Like, I get it, you know, like it's a, it's an operating system that runs on a watch, but like, why are you doing this? What's the point of this effort going into this? It has no utility. <laughs> Right, like it, it feel it looks cool in those those little slides and visuals that they have going on, but I um I am just like extremely skeptical that it. I mean, to be fair, I don't think anything other than other than Microsoft is going to support this. Maybe Slack will support it, uh, because Slack is probably desperate not to lose more market share to uh of uh, to teams uh. So they, they would probably integrate this because, you know, why not? Uh, but doesn't it break your model of like an app? Because say say that Microsoft successfully rolls this out. Please think about it. The way that this is structured is you, in theory, wouldn't have an email app, right? You could open a new draft in Thunderbird and then start opening a spreadsheet because you've just loaded in on one of these fluid office documents. It breaks my brain. My brain doesn't work like that. I don't go to the mail app. I mean, I've tried to avoid email at all costs, but I don't go to the mail app because I want to open a fucking spreadsheet. I would go to my spreadsheet app. And... See, everyone always has this idea, right? Of just like, oh, the 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 operating system of the future is you just tap a button and you create stuff. When no, that actually sounds horrible, right? Like physical spaces having specific areas are great. Like no one goes to record a podcast in their bathroom. No one uh, like you yeah, don't but... you don't go to your kitchen to start playing Overwatch, right? Like you don't play Overwatch over your stove because places have a specific function. Your stove is for cooking. Your stove is not for watching videos of Jeff from the Overwatch team. It's not what we do there. Understand, right? Like you don't do that there because there's a place for things. <laughs> so, so you're saying this, right? And then I'm I'm reading a code from uh, Maya Roderick, the the principal program manager on the on Microsoft's Fluid Framework. And uh, she says, it's about helping people achieve a particular task. It's not about requiring them to decide which app do I go to or which document do I get back to. Is that a real problem? Or is that just a made-up thing that they just came up with? Like, that's is that like a real... Here's what we need to ask this person. Ask this person, have they used Search on Windows 10 recently? And then ask them to say that statement again. Oh my God. It's like... It's like they're thinking that people are too like too bad at computers to like find the app that they want to use. I don't think that's how like people are not that stupid, bro. Like I I I, I don't understand like what the point is. Like it's like are you like do you not know how to launch Excel? Like I like if you like what's 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 the holdup? Like what's the problem here? Like what's the UX problem you're trying to solve? Uh, is 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 there even a UX problem that you need to solve here? Like are you just making one up? Uh, I, I don't know. Like it, it doesn't feel like a thing we need. Actually, it just feels like something they came up with uh, because it will it will lock in users more. Like that's the like that's the goal of this. Uh, but think about it. You can you can be in 
you know, YouTube, watching an Overwatch live stream, and then you can just open a logic project and start making a dope beat in the middle of the YouTube site, you know? Isn't that what everyone wants? It's all fluid. It's all fluid. You know, I'm here's my hot take. Fluid with gender and sexuality, good. Fluidity of computers, bad. All right. You know what? That's that's your code for 2020. Uh, people <laughs> at Josephine at ChitterX.xyz uh, for that one. Uh, so let's talk about uh, something uh, something else, uh, also Microsoft related. So we talk about Project uh, Reunion and uh, speaking about things that never got off the ground. Um, UWB apps. Uh, Microsoft is trying again to get developers to actually make uh, stuff UWP like it's it's like happening again. Uh, so what is so what is Project Reunion at like a basic level? Like it's it's like a set of uh, APIs, I guess. Project Reunion is an abstraction layer for UWP, Win32, WinUI, and some of their WebView stuff into one abstracted API set that can be embedded in an application process or um, bundle and can run on different versions of Windows. Um, the Closest allegory is the Android situation, where, say, for example, Google just released the contract tracing API, right? That obviously can't be shipped as an Android update because Android updates don't exist. They're fake. Android never gets updated. It's not a real <laughs> operating system. So Google ships it as part of Google Play services. And it's exactly the same way where instead of there being a huge bundle of a mess of like a, a process called Google Play services running, in this case, Say I'm writing um, Static Zope Overwatch Tracker with nothing but lewd shots of May, I guess, in there. So we're doing that. We're shipping out that <laughs> new app. Bro, and- okay, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. I get to the May thing later. Uh- <laughs> and so, and so, in that process, obviously, you know, I'm on the latest version of Windows 10. I'm taking advantage of this cool new UWP API that lets me have like a frosted glass effect on the loot shot of May. You got to click it, shatters the glass, and you see the loot. Right? <laughs> That's only available as an API on the latest version of Windows 10. Great, great. So, I obviously would like my software to be used by multiple people. You know, say you're not running the latest version because you know I can't expect everyone to always be on the latest version. Cool. So with Project Reunion, I, instead of building it for, say, UWP, I would then bring in the Project Reunion API version of that and package it against Project Reunion. And then I can run it on Windows 8. I can run it on other versions of Windows. And everyone will be able to enjoy these nudes with me. And so how that works because we have three api sets in windows right now because of course we do and you probably never heard of anything but win32 because microsoft does not have a marketing team that does anything so (laughs) you have win32 which is as you've listened to the show you know is my sworn enemy i hate win32 me and the homies we don't fuck with win32 but y'all keep using it because win32 objectively lets you do the most with windows software as uwp is the other api set that's limited and then two years ago microsoft began the first version of this of a project called WinUI. And what's WinUI? WinUI is pulling out the UI components of Windows into its own UI library. And you might think to yourself, isn't there something called WPF? WPF is Windows Platform Foundation shit. That's for Windows 7, Windows 8. So, and the way you know the difference is a scroll bar with a WinUI app is flat and grayish, right? A scroll bar with a WPF app is like that light gray like looks like like a little squishy ball thing that or something right it, it looks different so when ui is a set of modern ui objects and you've already been able to import those into win32 but but microsoft is now giving you a better api and it's that'll let you pull together all the when ui components win32 uwp into one app right and it also gives you access to the msix packaging container 
for to package your apps. Because right now, say you're building, say we're building, um, it's 2008 and I just learned C sharp and I really want to build a, um, Counter Strike One, um, lewd, you know, um, character app to distribute online. That's what the kids played in 2008. Um, and so I'm doing it in Win32. In that case, you just package it as a exe file, right? And people install it. It might throw a DLL in the registry that the apps used. But then think about it. Think after a while, you think to yourself, man, this new League of Legends game is great. I no longer want to look at naked pictures of people from Counter-Strike. I'd rather look at um, buff dudes from League of Legends. So <laughs> you uninstall it. What happens then, as you all likely have encountered Windows before, is you install a Windows application from the control panel, and it doesn't really remove everything. You know, it kind of it kind of leaves stuff behind, but it's not like anything to the app, but it does leave stuff behind. So what MSIX does is that it is a bingo card here app container that virtualizes part of the registry. The application can read the registry and it could also read data from the system. But when it writes data, it's sort of symlinked where the app thinks it's writing it to the global registry, but it's actually writing it to a virtual registry and virtual application data folders. Right. That aren't like for compatibility reasons, aren't, say, actually running to the global one. But the benefit of this is when you uninstall it, it just deletes, you know, those the virtual data, right? The, the symlink yep. data. So, like, it's all gone. Yeah. Uh, so, and this is one of the reasons I do like UWB apps when I do install them is that they do make uninstalling very clean, and I do like that aspect of it. And also, I don't have to deal with fucking all these windows installers uh which are which haven't changed in fucking 20 years uh by the way it's mostly the same shit uh i mean this is all fine like i i mean this is this is a this is a direction that microsoft is going they're trying to encourage people to actually move forward but it's uh, it's going to be slow going if, if anything happens at all uh like I, I like if you are a developer for an existing Win uh, like Win thirty two application, like I, especially the complex one, I don't see people like really making use of this. I don't know if they want to. Like why? Well, why? I think for like Win UI, you might want to start using it just because Win UI gets you scaling by default for free. So if you rewrote your your app to be Win UI, right, and say someone's running it on a uh, like a four K monitor, but they want to run it in two X or bring up the font scaling, you get that for free with Win UI. You don't have to say write in like high DP, HDPI scaling into your application. Instead, if you're using Win UI, the system will know how, how to scale up the controls, and also you get better accessibility um, support with Win UI, screen reader support. All right, I mean, that's the thing, but also like all these applications, uh, like if you're writing a new application, I could see you using this, but if you're writing a new application, you might as well make it a UWP app, right? And if you have an existing Win32 application that has existed for a long time and already has high DPI support because you implemented it manually, uh, and like, I don't like this, like, doesn't, I don't see like a very strong reason, like, for any, a project to really like, to focus on using Project Reunion, right? Uh, well, I think a big hit is for like Electron apps. I think Microsoft is a lot of this is aimed for it because there's also the WebView stuff that they're rolling out now, which is not based on Chromium. So if you use like a Windows WebView, you get the full Chromium system. And so what they're saying with this is like you could, in theory, write like an Electron style Discord like style app, right? But for UI calls, just like use React Native or whatever, and which will compile to Win UI, use the UWP APIs for maybe push notifications, and then maybe use a Win32 API to go ahead and monitor every app running on your system so you can put it in the Discord help menu because that's something you could still do with Win32. But 
I think it's just more of since this is like Microsoft written and handled, like apps using the this will still be managed better by like the system than say um, the gross web apps are using right now. Or I mean, yeah, yeah. And and I mean, I guess for older apps, it, it, if you wrote your own like UI library, like there's no reason to switch to this because that's a lot of work you've already put into use like to write your own things. I mean, it's like, I was thinking about like a Win32 app that I use a lot, which is like my BitTorrent client, right? Uh, and that's like, it's, it's Qubit Torrent and it's, it's uses Qt. Uh, so it already has like all the Qt stuff in there, right? Like all the stuff that Qt does. Uh, in, it's, it's based on the Qt toolkit. Uh, so it already has the Qt stuff. So like for that app, there's like no reason for it to be ever like really ported into something like this, right? So, uh, and like, I don't know if a BitTorrent app is the ideal app for this anyway, right? Like a BitTorrent app is like, you're you're downloading a lot of arbitrary data and saving it to arbitrary places. Uh, like I I don't think that's the right. What what like maybe like I don't know like uh like you said this the Discord app maybe like Discord uh, Discord Electron app um uh, maybe can happen. Well, I also I think the Xbox app will probably start switching this because the Xbox app remember has a new beta version and that beta version is React Native now, so th- it would benefit mm, from this. I don't like it. I don't like that. I don't like that app. Like it's it's gross. Uh, it's slow, actually. Uh, it's way slower than it should be. By the way, uh, I don't know why it's so. It's, it feels slow. Uh, not that I don't know if it is actually slow, but it's like it feels slow to use. Uh, you know, what? actually, I think the reason this is, I think Microsoft made this for internal use and just uh, just open sourcing it because they can. Please think about it. Like Office isn't UWP. And from what I've heard, like on the Windows Central podcast, when they were talking about this, they're like, Microsoft can't even get people inside Microsoft to use UWP. Right, right, right. So like these Office apps that are like win- still Win32 apps, right? Like if I launch Word, which I still have installed for some, for some, I should really uninstall all of Office, by the way. Uh, I don't know why I still have this installed, but uh, it's still a Win32 app, right? It looks like it has a modern UI, but it's still a Win32 app, right? Like it's not a, it's not a UWP app. That's for sure, right? Uh, the, the Windows Store version are UWP, but they're not updated anymore. The regular, the right? Big, the so I have, the, I have like the non-Windows Store version of of the Office apps installed, and like those are win, still Win32, and they have the modern UI design, but like that is not still not a Win32 app. So yeah, I could see that. I could see that theory being plausible, like to like really get Microsoft to actually start moving moving their apps uh, to this. Uh, maybe Microsoft I, is just like. Please just write software for our operating system that isn't a website. Like, if it is a website, make it a PWA and use our native PWA implementation. But, like, please don't use cross-platform garbage. I literally think at this point, Microsoft is just, like, catering to however people write software. Do they just want software written for their platform that isn't trash? Yeah, exactly. They're just like, please, can you write some software? Uh, just, just please write some stuff. And that's also the thing. How many people are writing Win32 app, like Windows applications, native applications anymore, right? Like, that's also another thing that I like Mac OS developers talk about. The Mac people talk about this all the time. It's like, nobody's writing Mac, native Mac apps anymore. Like, who the fuck is writing native Mac apps? Well, like, the thing too is like, the only people who write UWP apps are Xbox developers, right? Because if you want to have an Xbox app for like Netflix, it has to be UWP. Right, right. But that's like a very specific use case, right? That's like a very small set of developers, right? Like that's actually like writing stuff for Xbox, right? Like the Xbox apps are like very limited amount of them. Like there's not many. 
uh, they're all usually by big corps that have like uh, some sort of media business uh, of some sort. Uh, oh, actually, wait. Speaking about packages, we we should probably talk about the Windows Package Manager for a little bit, right? Oh, right. right? NuGet, right? right? Is, what is yeah, it called? Yeah, yeah. Winget, 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 Winget. Nougat's, uh, that's a that's a uh, that's a dessert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh when get is like a basically uh what is it i like i i thought i looked it up but I it's like app.get uh, but for windows basically right like it's for windows as software uh, yeah i pulled up the github page i'm should put the link in there actually uh it is it looks like yeah it looks like app get it the cli looks uh look at the cli did they have any screenshots no they don't have screenshots uh so you like you can like install uh what like you can install like windows apps right uh like you can, yeah, you can also install stuff like steam you can install a bunch of windows software and interesting is that it doesn't use the same backend as the windows store it's a completely different backend and by extension you know what that means software actually installs <laughs> from winget unlike the windows store that's sometimes shitty right i the windows i don't know the windows store is a little buggy sometimes i don't understand why it is buggy still like sometimes apps just like forget that they're installing and sometimes just fail to install like i i I, anyways uh yeah so if they can make that process more reliable i mean they can start using that instead as the back end right uh like just just have the gui app just call the cli (laughs) i don't know fucking uh, if if it makes it more reliable sure why not um so so that's that's i mean that's cool uh all the linux nerds are like we have had, bro did you not know about all these package managers like welcome to welcome to 9099 i guess uh, or something that a linux nerd would say well uh, see my thing is my thing is here is if this package manager means that microsoft can just start listing like an open repository of windows software in the windows store and try and get more people to install binaries from the windows store i feel like that's a good thing for user security right yeah i mean sure I don't know. I mean, I guess who knows? Maybe they might go full Apple and just uh, and just stop th- arbitrary third party software downloads. I mean, that's uh, yeah, that's another thing is that uh, I mean, you could sort of already enable that in Windows, right? Like you can you can turn on S mode, right? Yeah, you can turn on S mode basically, and it will basically enforce uh, only App Store installations. For, uh, which uh, which I mean. <sighs> Yeah, I mean that's it's not, it's not it's, there's too much shit in Windows that's not in the App Store. It's it's not really a viable solution for most people. Yeah, Microsoft denied um, Sadix horny um, Overwatch app. Unfortunately, that is not available in the Microsoft. Yeah, and Store. it's also not May, by the way. It's probably going to be Brigit. Uh, so let's move on. Uh, yeah, let's let's uh, <laughs> let's bring it over to some um, system security <laughs> stuff on macOS. Brigit, I've pronounced it wrong too, bro. Okay. Um, Mac OS, let's, uh, we're talking about Mac OS, we're talking about uh, gate, let's talk about uh, notarization and gatekeeper. Wait, wait, right wait, now. we have to define something before we explain this issue. So, every Apple issue is a gate, right? This is gatekeeper gate. Is this gate gate? <laughs> no, please, can we, can we stop, like, uh, doing that? Because it's, like, obnoxious. Like, it's, it's, I, like, I mean, what was the first time we did this? Like, when um, we did antenna this. Gate. It was Antenna Gate. Uh, antenna Gate, right. Like, that was already, like, kind of dumb. And it's oh like. Oh, my God. No. And you remember when the Bend Gate happened and then me and you named it Benghazi in that show? <laughs> oh, that's a problematic. That's a joke that won't fly in 2020. But, anyways, the Apple drama of the week. No. So let's, let's talk about. Uh, so there was this uh, blog post by Alan Odgard called uh, Mac OS 10.15. 
slow by design. Uh, and it's talking about, uh, it's talking about how app, like launching applications in Mac OS 10 point, like in, in Mac OS Catalina is that there is slow to launch these applications because there's all these system calls, uh, like all these calls that are happening in the background when you launch an application, uh, that is like checking with the internet, like checking with, um, not the internet, checking with the Apple notarization servers, right? Like the api.cloudkit.apple.cloudkit.com or whatever it is. Basically the gatekeeper uh, service. Yeah, the gatekeeper service. Uh, and so like you're the, you're the Mac user here. So I'm going to like, a, like ask you, like, so like, what is, what, like, I think we should like go over overview what system integrity protection does. We should talk about system integrity protection and gatekeeper and what those things actually do in Mac OS and what notarization is probably to like sort of bring an overview of this topic. Yeah. yeah. So basically here's a brief overview of how system security works on a modern Mac of a T2 chip. Um, not everything I'm saying here is going to like, you have an old MacBook and not everything applies to your MacBook because it doesn't have a, doesn't have a T2 security chip in it. So basically how Mac OS works nowadays is let's say, for example, I was building a, actually I'm building right now a Swift UI application, right? For the, the VTuber app, I'm building that. And gatekeeper is a couple of different modes. When I install Xcode, I hook it up to my Apple account and I build this app. I now have a personal signing key that Gatekeeper doesn't pay attention to. Every time I run my binary, it's not being sent to Gatekeeper because it's the software that I compiled and ran on my machine because there is a personal signing key for it. The next step at Gatekeeper is, let's say, for example, I'm going to download Google Chrome because I have to load Matrix up because I want to voice chat with someone. Um, so I download Chrome. And basically, when I open the application for the first time, it just bounces in a dock from it because Apple's validating that binary to be a known good binary. And what that means is that it takes a hash of the binary, sends it through Gatekeeper. There's a local database. If it passes that, then it'll also just bounce it to Apple servers just to make sure to that it isn't on a block list that hasn't been you know synced with the system yet. And once that checks good, it launches the binary. However, you still have to hit OK and accept the fact that you're running an application from the from the internet. If you don't hit OK, it's, it won't launch that at all. And the reason it does that is because of system integrity protection. And what system integrity protection does is, is Catalina is even different than older versions of macOS, but it protects the system partition on the um, on the on your actual SSD. So I uses like an LVM, um, logical virtual um, management system, logical volume management. Yeah, logical volume management, where there is a user partition that the user that macOS can actually write to, and then system integrity protection sort of runs as its own root user, and it blocks off access to the um, system partition. So no software on your system can actually touch system binaries and system data. Only when you're installing a new version of the OS, then it boots into like a separate update OS that takes that package, checks it for it to be good, and then then will write data to the system partition. And with that, as a part of as a part of SIP, you also get the gatekeeper uses some some of the um, encryption stuff in in the actual T2 chip to start validating packages. Because I believe the whitelist or whatever Apple calls it is also somewhere in that like on the system partition and it can only be written to by by the T2 chip. And so you get all that. Basically, this this is the issue that... I know we've talked about it before actually with game developers. Like there's a lot of Windows game developers who can't build Mac builds because they don't have a Mac. 
and they don't want to pay Apple. I think we talked about it as well. You can't, you, in order to get an app notarized, which notarization means that Gatekeeper will let you run the software. And so let's say, let's say I'm going to distribute the virtual tuber app and I want to, you know, put it everywhere and I don't want to do the Mac app store. I'm going to distribute it on, you know, my own website as a binary. So when I build it, I then have to in Xcode check a box to get it notarized. And in order to check that box, I have to pay Apple's $100 developer fee to actually get a notarization because it's sort of like how an SSL certificate used to work where you buy certificates. Yes, it, it is basically SSL certificate. It is, it is essentially a certificate, like you, you code signing. You're basically signing the binary or the code. Or, like you know, on Windows, you do this as well, right? Windows, there was some like a lot of big name, most, a lot of Windows apps, Win32 apps are signed. Like the, the installer is signed and the binaries are signed by, by a certificate that you buy from a certificate authority that has your company name on it and is verified by the certificate authority to be that company, right? And this is a thing that has happened where malware, like, like, hack, like, uh, like, like people, like black hat hackers have stolen, uh, stolen certificate, like, so stolen private keys and use them to sign, uh, malware. So, which, and it, it gets past, like, my, like Microsoft's, uh, like, big warning about running unsigned apps, right? Uh, like, smart screen, right? Uh, will, will not, will not trigger if you run, like, a signed app. Um, differences, though, between smart screen and gatekeeper, though, is I think it's Windows will still let you run unsigned software. Whereas on Mac OS, you can kind of get away with, run, uh, with running an unsigned um, application right now, and the way you do it is you have to um, run as a as root in uh, in a terminal xe attributes the process name or the binary name, and basically you're manually whitelisting in the terminal that to gatekeeper, so gatekeeper won't stop it from running, which is not something any regular user should be doing or would know how to do. If you if you if you do like shift right click and then you can open it right, I think that's also another. Uh, that's not whitelisting it. That's like basically like a one-time like grant. Yeah, so, I guess. yeah, you're allowing it to run for one time. So the difference is, why would you need to whitelist it versus allowing it to run that one time? Well, obviously, say for me, I know it's funny because it's before you start the show. I use um, in macOS. I I am a believer that if you have a trackpad, the reverse scrolling like on phones is the best way to scroll. But if you're on a mouse, what the fuck are you doing? Up is up and down is down. But macOS doesn't let you split that. So I use an app that runs as like a system applet to let you do that. But I had to manually whitelist it because it's open source. It's not um it's not anything that's yeah, it's not signed. So so I had to manually whitelist it because it runs on launch all the time and having to like shift right click open is annoying. So as of right now, you can do this, but uh everyone who uses a Mac is under the impression that Apple will stop you from doing this in a future release. I don't think anyone is um, under the impression that unsigned executables will be able to run a Mac OS for much longer. Um, and there's still changes for software you compiled, right? Because say you install like a node environment and you do that because it's like you built it. It's a little different, right? It's in running in slash user. You can still access slash user without having to go through gatekeeper. You can run like these node binaries and stuff without having to go through gatekeeper. But with all of this security stuff out of the way, the drama is, well, every time you launch a binary for the first time and for the first time on reboot. So there's two different checks happening. So it's not every time you launch a binary, but it's on the first time it's ever been ran on your system. And the first time after a reboot, it ha- the binary is hashed and then sent to Apple servers to be verified against a list of known, bad or known good hashes. And then it'll be allowed to run. And assuming your network conditions are good, this should not take that long. But the article is going into how it's actually slowing software from running. 
Right, and also it's also running for like things like shell scripts that you write yourself, right? And they, like people, uh, uh, the article talks about running running a very uh, simple uh, shell script that just uh, like prints the word "hello" to your uh, standard output on your terminal, and like it. It, it'll it takes some time to run because it's it's doing the check. But also, some people have found out that if you have uh, the developer tools category in in the security and privacy preferences pane, which I think you'd get if you have Xcode installed, right? Uh, if you have Xcode installed, I think you get that. It, it, not everybody has that. Apparently, it's not there by default. Uh, it's because Xcode installs a system extension for developer tools that you don't yeah. get without it, um, right? Uh, so if you add terminal to the list of uh, developer tools in that can in that in that preferences pane, it will not it, like to, like shell scripts will not be verified by uh, like the checksums of the shell scripts won't be verified by uh, by gatekeeper. Uh, and this is okay. I'm like, first of all, why are you doing this like this? Like, why is this checking like? binaries why is apple not downloading a list of checksums that they can check against locally instead of sending everything to the fucking uh server uh like if i i know for notarization you you probably have to do an online check right i i, I don't know if you can do an offline check for notarization but like for really for uh i mean you could probably do an offline check for notarization you'd just have to have the certificate bundle uh on like the certificate authorities bundle in on your machine to check against uh but like actually while you while you go over this i'm i'm pretty sure you can run gatekeeper offline um while you're explaining this i'm going to check the developer documentation in xcode to see what happens when you're not connected and you try and do gatekeeper that's that's, that's, that's my question is this is um so some users have reported like the, the when they uh, like user in china reported a delay of like 5.57 seconds when they're using their vpn um it's uh, it's a very weird design to be able to like uh like weird to have applications Delay on like delay launch on on checking the blo- essentially a blocking launch on on in on internet access and that is on like especially if you have like a slow internet access uh, uh it's this is not like I I want to see this verified using like packet traces like uh, using using something like Wireshark to verify that this is actually happening. Like, like this is actually the problem. Like this is actually what's going on. Like that's the API calls are making internet access like the requests, like uh, HTTPS requests or whatever to to Apple to verify the verify the checksums. Like I I really want to know what's going on. Uh, so so what have you found in the Apple? Like if the Apple documentation for this even exists? Uh, oh, actually, I found a blog post from 2018 talking about how notarization and customer privacy might be an issue. <laughs> Um, it's basically saying, yeah, the pa- it reaches out to packet traces. You can see a reference to ocsp.apple.com and api.apple-cloudkit.com. Right. OCSP is essentially verifying the certificate of the Apple API server. That's that's uh, SS- uh, OCSP stapling check. Uh, and the API call is the actual call that like the API endpoint for cloud the, the CloudKit DNS request is for the. Uh, for for api.apple-cloudkit.com is the is the endpoint for 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 notarization check. Uh, and some people are like, uh, Apple theoretically has like a centralized database of every Mac user who's ever used like a particular application, right? 
like for example, YouTube DL or Tor or like you know like uh, True Crypt or whatever. I mean, I would imagine they're probably a, a, a randomizing it, but it's still problematic even if they are right. Uh, oh my god, Apple's developer documentations are so bad. Oh my god, this is this is taking me way. This is this is. I don't think we might. I might have to cut a little bit out because I actually do want to pull up what the official docs are. So gatekeeper, let's see. Yeah, that, the, I think the real thing is why is Apple running normalization checks on shell scripts, right? Um, it might just be for every binary. That might be the way it's structured. Every time a process right. is ran, yeah, that's it's. I mean, it's it's, uh, it's not a great experience if you're like if you're on a shitty internet connection. Uh, and like if you're looking at this, like the. And you can't even like turn it off without having Xcode installed, and the and the uh, and the and the, the the preferences pane available to you, uh, which is not available without with like without Xcode. So, I love the phrasing for this. In order to gatekeep an application, Apple def- describes it as stapling a ticket to your distribution package. You get a ticket from the gatekeeper service, and you then use a stapler to staple it to your app. <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, that's an analogy. Uh, that's uh, that's that's great. Oh, I can give you the IPs. Actually, <laughs> Apple lists the IPs that are used for the CloudKit um, download download tickets. Interest. I mean, it's probably seventeen dot seventeen dot IPs, like in, in Apple's subnet uh, range. Yeah, seventeen dot two four eight, seventeen dot two five zero, and yeah. I mean, it doesn't like if, if you're talking if you have Macs in your office environment, you're talking to Apple servers. Like, it's that's not the uh, problem. I feel like it's like uh, it's. Like keychain access, privilege system, file system location. Um, Apple has like a few documents that like uh has a few directories that require user permission to access, right? Uh, desktop, uh, documents and downloads, right? And says that uh, uh, every time that you uh like try to obtain the display name or an icon for one of these folders, like Apple will trigger the code to verify that the client is allowed to access the location, which is like. You send a message to the sandbox D process, which sends a message to the TCCD, which calls set code check validity with errors. Uh, and it communicates with some other process that they couldn't find. And this takes like around 150 milliseconds per location. Um, so, and the, and the result is cache, like, uh, cache until the next relaunch of the application. Uh, so I don't think you can find the docs because Apple's docs are actually like horror. Oh, there's no there's no docs about what happens when you're not online. Uh, so I'm guessing that Apple will probably check it the next time it's connected to the internet. That's my my assumption. Then is that so? Say for example, I'm I'm not online when I'm setting up my Mac, right? And I want to load up, you know, the 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 hot Brigitte Brigetti Overwatch app that Sadik made. Um, you know, he he just notarized it. It's hot. It's right off the presses. Ew. Ew. I'm sorry I said that. But but so I load it and it looks like it checks against the known list and then it'll check the binary the next time it's launched. Yeah, like I would imagine there is like a like a like a text file or whatever on on the system partition that gatekeeper checks against first, right? Um locally and yeah, then it'll check also it against any it. known tickets and then it'll download a list of good tickets, which is a horrible naming scheme for this. That's a, yeah, that's not a good uh I don't know. Like, has this been verified by somebody at Apple? And there's somebody saying that this was verified by an Xcode engineer that this actually happens. Uh, well, Apple's documentation is saying that it'll. He's like, for example, it's there's a part of the documentation saying, "Hey, if you run an enterprise setup and you deploy Max, 
you need to make sure these IP addresses are whitelisted in your corporate firewall, or you're going to have issues running Mac software. Yeah. So they, so they, they're okay. like kind of that. It at least confirms that it is reaching out to those different yeah, services. To those IPs, yes. Um, so like, so what is this like? I mean, this could be better. This could be designed better. Like what? Like I even if it is like checking. With, uh, with gate, with, with notarization servers and the, the privacy concerns here and like the rest of it. It's not even about this. Like it's like the speed. It shouldn't be an issue. Like it should be checking offline, preferably all the time instead of checking online. Like I feel like it shouldn't be blocking on launch. Like I, that's the thing that's really getting me is that you really, you shouldn't be blocking on launch. I feel like that's. You real critical. I at least I guess from the way I see it, I don't actually run into this issue because I don't reboot my Mac that often. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I am tempted to try and see how I could replicate this. I don't, I barely use my Mac, so like it's not really a problem I would run into anyways. But like it's, I, and also like I don't have a Mac with a T two chip. I don't know how much of this is related to the T two chip as well. Uh, I don't know if it is related to T2 chip. Like, is the T2 chip like doing? Well, the T2 chip does probably helps make it faster, if anything. But, but system integrity protection is the whole is the whole sort of issue here. Yeah, and also like I, I, yeah, also I don't have like Xcode installed. So like, if I really wanted to test this, I would have to install Xcode and like put terminal in in the list of uh, developer tools and then test versus like if it's not in developer tools, like run a shell script and uh, time it. I don't know if that's also like the only factor. There's about, there might be other factors that's causing the script to be uh, slow. Like, I, I don't know. Uh, I think I think just the, the core issue here is that at Apple, you have a very big security team that is more concerned with the security of the platform rather than maybe say the end user experience sometimes and that leads to some of these decisions because like for example i'm willing to bet that the reason apple script still exists in mac os today is because it's probably some old mac people who yell at the security team every time they come into their office right <laughs> because if you as, a, as an attack vector arbitrarily running scripts like an apple script from a super old api that has been updated in forever huge huge attack surface there but but it's a useful benefit to have, right? I think like of a desktop computer, you kind of have to accept that there's some trade-offs to system security. Yeah, you, I mean, security is always about trade-offs, right? Like security at the end of the day is about making the compromises that you want to, you can live with uh, to get the security that you want, right? Like to, to like basically sacrificing like, user experience and comfort for user security right like how like how do you balance the scale there right like that's and it feels like apple is balancing the scale heavy on the on the security side right like that's like if that's what's happening at the, at the cost of the of the user experience here um, and i think apple's like build tools right are likely optimized for running native mac software but unfortunately that's not really what people use on their machines nowadays. And by native Mac software, what I mean by this is like AppKit apps, right? Like first class Mac citizens, right? Like me, I, I try to avoid using any weird third party garbage on my Mac because I understand that Mac OS doesn't play nice when you start bringing in a bunch of Electron apps and you start bringing in a bunch of like QT apps and things written in other toolkits. It works fine, but you know, people will talk about like with Catalina, things get fucky sometimes where shit starts to act weird. I have found that if I'm just using all native software, I'm actually having a pretty good time. 
Like the only app on my machine that ever acts up is Discord. And it's probably not Discord's fault. It's probably how macOS handles Electron apps running. And I imagine if you're at Apple, like you probably are building for AppKit apps uh, to see like if we're say the security team's like, okay, we're going to roll out this new process. How does it work with like installing an AppKit app that was written and built in Xcode, right? And likely, I would imagine maybe that doesn't have a secure, like it have a delay, even if you're using it over a VPN or whatever. Maybe that doesn't have one. But say if you're using Discord or Skype or some other app that isn't, you know, built against Xcode, then you might start running into issues because of some unforeseen issues. And the reason I'm basing this is Gmail is still broken in mail. It has been broken for five, six years. 2013, it's been broken since, I think. <laughs> I think that's a different issue. I think that's a, that's a Google and Apple fight that has been going on for well, a long time. Well, the issue is, the, the issue, the issue is mail randomly opens when you have a Gmail account oh, that, attached that to issue. it. Okay. That's um, the bug. And that yeah. just leads me to believe the people who work on the mail app do not use a Google account in no, their mail don't. app. I, I See, am 100% sure. Actually, you know what? The people who use, people who write the iOS mail app don't use the iOS mail app. I swear to fucking God. You got I mean, right? That's why I'm safe. This is why I'm safe in assuming that the Apple security team is only building for apps written in Xcode and AppKit, right? Like that is the only, that's my assumption and I'm pretty confident in that's that That's what assumption. they're testing against, right? That's those, the, the test app, the test suites are all running like, uh, like uh, AppKit apps, right? They're not testing with like, like, uh, like electron garbage or like QT garbage or whatever, right? Uh, so, so the, the, the tests will not catch this sort of things with one in non, non, like Xcode app kit apps, right? Although I guess at this point, at this point, if you are someone who uses Mac OS, I think now, you know, I don't think it's going to get any better with regards to this. I think it's like you need to make a choice and that choice is, are you okay if using a desktop operating system that's going to become very more locked down in ways that will only annoy you on edge cases? Because... Apple's never going to stop you from like using a app like Logic or whatever or Adobe Premiere, but some special workflows that are what I call quote unquote Chosa Linux bullshit, which is just strange things that shouldn't really work, but kind of work because you know how to use a computer. I feel like those are going to start being reined in. And I mean, hey, you can run Windows apps on uh, Linux apps on Windows now. Microsoft would be happy to have you. <laughs> Oh my god! You you are really gonna you really like try to get the Linux users. The bait is real. You're putting the bait well, out like, there. I mean, okay. So jokes aside, jokes aside. Mate, I'm just I don't know if Apple's going to change right because this honestly isn't like it is an issue. Yes, but it's only like an issue to like people who are very into computers. Like compu- hardcore computer nerds are the ones who are affected the most by these kinds of issues. Not really regular users who are like making vlogs about um like i don't know um funko pops right like the someone who like has a back and works on their funko pop enthusiast channel likely is never going to be affected by this so so to wrap it up uh don't use computers i guess i guess that's the that's the that's actually uh, don't disable system and security protection that that please don't do that yes please do not for the love the thing is like if you are like it really shouldn't be like I feel like this is one of those things where it it almost is like yes this system integrity protection is actually there for your benefit it's not like it's not like it like it's it this is, feels like an antithesis to like how uh like like the like the false mindset is that this is like some sort of uh prison I mean it is in some ways a prison right 
right? Like, like if you, if think you, about if it, you if, use Gen two, if you use Arch Linux, this is a prison compared to what you have over there. Like objectively, it is. But at the same time, if you're using Arch Linux, like I mean, I don't know. You're not using macOS, right? That's like that's the thing. It's also like if you're using Arch Linux, you may want to disable system integrity protection on your if you have a Mac device, right? Like you may be you may have the knowledge to do that. You may have the Understanding of the trade-offs and the and the security trade-offs that you're making when you do that, but do not in under any circumstances norm give people who do not understand the security benefits and trade-offs the advice to turn off system integrity protection. Because guess what, there was the I don't know how many people of you remember the Chrome bug that deleted a bunch of. What did it delete? By the way, it deleted the, uh, the system, just a folder in the system uh, partition that broke. And the it Mac. broke your system, right? It like it, it just like stopped it from booting. Right, uh, and Google Chrome did that because on systems that has system integrity protection disabled, because and it happened to people actually in like movie studios or whatever, where there are applications that require you to disable system integrity protection because reasons. Um, because they use USB key authenticators, right? The DRM for like some of these advanced apps, you have to have a key. There's no like online authenticator. You actually have a key the company provides plugged into your computer at all times. Uh, this is like a hardware a hardware DRM, I guess. Uh, so, so that, that, so they were like, their system Macs were being like unable to boot after, after Chrome updated because of this. Uh, so like, you know, just in, just do not like, in, it's not an advice that you can freely give, right? It's not like something you say to somebody. It's not like telling people to use a password manager. It's like, you can't just be like disable a system protection, bro. That's, it's fine. Uh, that's, that's not, that's not. I mean, that option still exists though. I think it was just something important to also notice that you can turn all this off. Like if you write, and I don't think Apple's going to ever remove the ability if you didn't turn it off because it doesn't, it doesn't make sense for them to just like have this lockdown all the time. Because at that point, you're running a couple commands and terminals. That's informed consent on your part. You should be doing this if you know what you're doing. And at that point, Apple can be like, well, we have a protection system, but if you want to opt out of it for whatever reason, you're more than welcome to. Yeah. If you want, if you want to, if you want to write, uh, if you want to write shell code and, uh, if you want to write shell scripts and p- potentially remove your system, uh, files or whatever, that's your, <laughs> at that point, it's your problem, right? Uh, I hope you have backups. That's, that's all I'm going to say. Uh, so we should wrap this up. There are, we're going to link to two, uh, we're going to link to the post by Alan and also another post by, uh, by Jeff Johnson about this. Uh, so read those. Think about like if you're a Mac user, you know, I want if you if you if you can replicate this issue or you cannot or you have other like if you have some like uh, Wireshark uh, packet dumps from this or whatever, you know, let me know. I'm curious actually uh, how this works, uh, and I would love to know the network side of this. Uh, so add me at packetcat at ten forward dot social. And as always, you can find me on my website, salixiv.com. You can find the show notes at twoshadesofbrown.com. Uh, and our email address for feedback is contact at twoshadesofbrown.com. So you can send spreadsheets. Spreadsheets. For the love of God. <laughs> if you send us a spreadsheet, I'm putting it in my spam folder. I swear to God. Um, <laughs> what if it's a fluid uh, spreadsheet? Come on. Don't you want to? <laughs> no, no, I don't want any, any kind of spreadsheets, fluid or not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's 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 good. That's the title. Um, that's the title. That one, any spreadsheets, bro. Um, and show us the way do people find you on 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 the fluid web. Um, um, you can find me fluidly online at just find a, uh, <coughs> fuck. Fluid dot social. No. no. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Yo, hold up. Wait. Uh, let me check. The, is, can I register it? Can I register a domain on the pod? Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Okay. We're going to go fluid.social. I hope it's not taken because that would be great. Fluid.social is... Fuck, it's taken. What's, oh. Is this a mass? This better be a mass on instance. Then. Let's go. Let's see. Let's see. What is this? Come on. Come on. Oh, it's loading. It's loading. Oh, my God. Fluid.social. What the... <laughs> oh no! Oh wait, no! Oh, oh, wait, wait. Is, oh, is, is no. it something horny? Is, it, is is that what it is? Is that is that is that what that is? Is this some furry stuff? Is that what that is? I help you meet women. Is the page? Is the website's page? Oh oh no! Oh, it's this, a pickup oh, artist. It's a pickup oh, artist oh, website. Oh, oh, you know what? Let's wrap this up. Let's wrap this up. Um, uh, you can find me so online. Don't at don't don't at don't, uh, don't add just on the fluid network. Uh, at Chosa at Chosafine.ch at, uh, at Chitter.xyz and you can find my website at Chosafine.website um, once again I'm still building this VTuber app um, we actually now actually quick status update it's now entirely SwiftUI now we're getting to the point I spoke to some 3D artists and now we get, I'm working on an import method for bringing in some 3D objects so you know I'm gonna be I'm gonna be doing a test flight I think hopefully by second week of june like first second week of june i think i'll have a test flight go up for that and definitely i'll let y'all know on the show if you want to um be added to that group also check on mass song as well definitely post there but yeah um find us online send us things if you ever build that if someone builds that may uh brigette app please at me and until next time <laughs> at me bye. first bro at me in that as well uh, oh my gonna, God. the horniness jesus <laughs> please yeah, end um, this <laughs> I, 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 goodbye <laughs> bye